0: All right. Well, it is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord with you today. And I will say it's kind of one of those things when you've not been using a particular facility for worship. Um, Oh, actually, before I do anything, this is a change for us. I'm supposed to dismiss the children, any of the children that are going to Children's Church. Amy is over in the corner back there. And if you want to go that way, that would be great. Not you, Tim. Sorry. Sorry. It is a privilege to be in here uh, when you've not used a facility for a long time because of. Uh, A situation like what we have had, things happen sometimes and it changes some of the dynamics. I don't know if you noticed, we did have some technical difficulties this morning. Uh, Actually, even with the recording, we're using a a phone down here as opposed to our camera that would normally be in the back. Uh, It appears that somewhere along the way, lightning has come in on our system. Uh, And therefore we have lost connection. So we're operating off of the Wi-Fi today instead Uh, we are grateful that there are alternative options that are available but I appreciate all the hard work that Derek and several others who came up here this week uh, to try to get as much of this uh, Up and running as possible. I'm very grateful for all that they did Uh, But man, I'm just glad to be back in the pulpit and I hope that you guys are as excited as I am You know every time I preach There is a purpose to what is being said at times. It is intended to be informational me sharing something with you that is either new or at least something that helps you to connect important dots, but there's another goal for every sermon. Each sermon is also intended to be inspirational just as much as it is informational calling us to change our perspective and to change our behaviors. My hope today as we uh, talk about what it means to be spirit clothed is that you will learn something while also being challenged. I want to begin today by reading some scripture with you. This comes from Galatians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, you'd be welcome to. Galatians 5, we're going to read verses 16 through verse 23. I know a lot of times what I'll do is I'll read little portions of it and I'll I'll read it as uh, in the middle of the sermon. I'll go back and I'll reference some of that. But I wanted us to start today with the scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 23. I really don't care which version of the scripture you're using today. I'm going to read from the ESV, which is a version that often I will read at home. Uh, This is what it says in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Against such things, there is no law. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would apply this word to our hearts, that you would allow it to meet us where we are today. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are told in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 that while, the Garden of e- while in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. After the introduction of sin and, of course, their subsequent eviction from the garden, it would seem that such occasions of walking and talking with God would no longer take place. Yet in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, we read the story of a man named Enoch. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It would appear that Enoch avoids death. He's simply in a conversation. He's walking with God, and God says, You know what? We're not going to separate today. I'm going to take you with me. It's as if he was able to avoid some of what the rest of humanity would have to deal with. But the point is, he walked with God. In addition, we have multiple examples of people who would walk and talk with God throughout Jewish history. People like Moses and Abraham and the prophets. Granted, the majority of these events are unique occasions, irregular at best. Of course, the greatest example of people walking and talking with God would be those who would walk alongside God in human flesh. I'm talking about the disciples and the many other followers of Jesus Christ. I've often wondered if they truly understood the incredible privilege that they shared in as they walked with Jesus Christ, walking physically in the presence of an almighty God. Likewise, I've often wondered if we understand the incredible privilege that we have. Today's passage passage suggests that we too can walk with God. It's not the opportunity to walk the streets of Jerusalem with Jesus, but rather the opportunity to walk by the Spirit. That means we have the privilege of walking every day in the presence of God. Look at the words of Galatians 5:16 once again. It says, "But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." There's so much that I find inviting about this particular verse. Of course, as I've already mentioned, it's amazing that we are invited to such close fellowship with God. Earlier I mentioned some biblical characters who were blessed with unique experiences of an encounter with God. I think of Moses, who regularly spoke with God on the mountain, even receiving the Ten Commandments from him, or in a place called the Tent of Meeting. On one occasion, he was given just a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of God, and the result was that his face radiated afterwards. It was like there was this this glow scaring even the Israelites when they saw him. The story is found in Exodus chapter 33, if you want to go look that up later on. Then I think of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he receives a vision of God in his temple. Suddenly, he is filled with a combination of awe, just wow, and fear, as he realizes that he has no goodness to stand upon. See, as he saw the glory and the beauty of God, he realized how good God truly was. And he realized how not good he was. He's way outmatched by the glory of an almighty God and he cries out, woe is me. You know, in both of these cases, with Moses and with Isaiah... These individuals come out of their experience as changed and empowered individuals. It's not to say that they were bad people prior to these encounters, but it simply reflects the fact that when an individual truly has an encounter with God, it will change the individual. I stop here. This is not in my notes, but this is a concern for me when we deal with the body of Christ. Because we have come up with this idea that I can have an encounter with God without being transformed by God. And it simply doesn't make sense. When you have a genuine encounter with God, you will be transformed by it. It cannot leave you the same way you were before. You will either be filled with such sorrow and regret, realizing how Blessed you are, realizing how little you deserve, or you will walk away even more hard-hearted than you were before. You cannot walk away the same once you have an encounter with God. In fact, this is where we find the second really inviting element of our verse today. In Galatians 5, 16, again, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you hear that? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the work of becoming. God's immediate presence changing who you are. And while there are many types of change that will take place, this particular type of change is both behavioral and heart related. It's almost like a child who is learning to make better choices. Early in the process, a child often has to learn obedience simply for the sake of avoiding punishment. They do what's right. They'll clean their room. They'll put away their toys, or they'll do whatever you tell them to do, not because they want to do what's right, but because they want to avoid punishment. But the hope is that somewhere along the way, They will begin to make the right choices, not because they're trying to avoid punishment, but simply because the desires of their heart will change as well. So we see that the presence of the Holy Spirit will enable us to walk in obedience. I I may not want to do this, but I will because I know that it's right. In fact, one of the things I find interesting in our passage today talks about us not doing what we want to do. You see, sin is very inviting. Sin is incredibly inviting. People uh, don't underestimate the fact, you know, sometimes we act like, you know, sin is not attractive. Well, if it wasn't attractive, people wouldn't do it. The fact is, it is very attractive. But I want you to know today that the Spirit of God dwelling in me is far more attractive than what that sin can offer. While there may be an attraction to sin, I have a God that is far more beautiful and more valuable, and I do not want to do anything that would compromise the Lord's presence in me. Clearly, there are those who we will do the things that we want to do, but when the Spirit is present in us, it ought to change those kinds of things. Eventually, the Spirit will transform our wants to the point that the things that used to satisfy us, will become detestable within our lives. This is the work of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. I will say that it's easy to look at certain acts of the flesh and draw up lines between which ones are okay versus the ones that are not okay. Our culture puts weights on different sins, and there are things that have become very acceptable around us, but I suggest that all acts of the flesh are a problem. I was reading a book this past week from a a guy named Thomas Merton. He is a, a Trappist monk. Or he was, he is since, uh, my understanding is he is dead. In it, he says, We obey the flesh when we follow the norms of prejudice, complacency, bigotry, group pride, superstition, ambition, or greed. Hence, even an apparent holiness based not on sincerity of heart, but on a hypocritical display is of the flesh. Now, before I dig too deep into this, what I want you to see first is that aspect of even an apparent holiness based not on sincerity of heart, but on hypocritical display is still of the flesh. I know we look holy. We've been taught what holiness is supposed to look like as the body of Christ, You know that you're supposed to do certain things, and that will make you holy. You're supposed to appear a certain way in front of other people, and that reveals holiness. Let me suggest to you that if you're just putting on a show, it's no different than all of these other acts of the flesh, and unfortunately, those in the church at times have been very good at putting on the show. I do not mean that as an insult to the body of Christ, but I think we need to be willing to look at our hearts. My prayer is that God would never allow me to justify such acts of the flesh. I know some of these things have become commonplace in our conversations over the past several months, but I'll tell you that there was one item on that list that Thomas Merton puts together that as I read it, it it hit me a little harder. It is complacency. It's the idea that I am good enough in Christ. It is the idea that I don't need to continue to press on for more of Christ. A friend of mine posted an interesting statistic this past week. It said that among evangelicals, 66% of us use Facebook every day. You can add other social media forms, but 66% of evangelicals, by the way, this this would be considered basically an evangelical church, so you're in this category. 66% of evangelicals use Facebook every day. The number was just under 40% for evangelicals using YouTube every day. Then the percentage of people reading God's word every day was 32%. Now, let's go back to this idea of complacency for a minute. We do the things that are important to us. If we're faithful in checking our social media, but we are not faithful in reading God's word, then I suggest to you that complacency is an issue in our lives. To so take it a step further, if we are complacent in our pursuit with Christ, then you can count on the fact that it will feed other acts of the flesh. You see, in that case, you may call yourself a Christian, but you're certainly not walking by the Spirit, which is what this whole text, this whole scripture is about. Because when you walk by the Spirit, you will also be led by the Spirit, Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I recently heard someone ask a question related to this verse. He said, if I am led by the Spirit and no longer under the law, does it really matter whether I'm living in obedience to the law anymore? What a great question. My guess is he's not the only one to have ever asked this question. I suggest that this is a part of the journey into discovering. To best answer my friend's question, let me begin with this. Although there is an obedience factor that cannot be ignored, we also must realize that the law is often in place to protect us, not just to pinpoint our shortcomings, but to protect us. So a speed limit sign is not just there so the police can write you a ticket, it's there to keep you from hurting yourself or hurting other people. The same thing is true with spiritual law. The laws that God has given are intended to protect his people often from themselves. A very simple example. The Jews were taught that if you come across a dead animal on the side of the road, you are not allowed to consume that animal. The reason is you don't know how it died. Maybe that animal has died simply because somebody shot it and they left it. I don't know. Or maybe it died because of disease. You don't know. And if you eat it, now you are the one that is in danger. So the point is, the law is not there just to pinpoint your weakness. It is there to protect you. You know, the Apostle Paul writes this, our passage today, as he writes it, he had a pretty interesting perspective on the law and how it applied to him. To begin with, know that he was born a Jew. That means that he spent most, if not all, of his adolescent life as one who felt as though he was under the law. He tried to be as holy as possible, even as an adult, eagerly pointing out the shortcomings of other religious people remember when we're first introduced to him he is basically going out for the sake of holding people accountable who are not living up to the Jewish standard yet in first Corinthians chapter 9 he declares the following he says for though I am free from all I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you, that sounds really confusing. Almost sounds like he's talking a little bit in circles. What does he mean by, I became as one outside the law, although not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ? Listen to what he's saying. First, under the law of Christ, he realizes that there are some things that are untouchables. There are some non-negotiables that Jesus himself has already addressed. They include faithfulness, they include love, they include grace. They include the greatest commandments of loving God and loving other people. But there are other Jewish laws that would have seemed very foreign to those who were Gentile believers. So to those under the law, the Jews, he chose to live up to a standard which they would expect. Not because he had to, but because he loved them that much and wanted them to come to know Christ. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, he met them where they were. I'm going to tell you, please don't take this personal if you're offended by this illustration Uh, It's not intended that way, but as I stand here and as I read this, uh, I do think of this mask thing. I'm going to tell you, just being completely honest with you, I don't know that these masks actually help a single person. However, I am willing to wear a mask for the sake of helping other people to find Christ. To me, I look at what Paul's saying, I became as one under the law simply for the sake of those who are under the law. I became as one who is not under the law. In other words, this is not about me. What matters most is me pointing people to Jesus Christ. And if there is anything that I can do that will open up a door for me to be able to communicate, you know, I hate the idea that we had to put tape to divide the pews. But if that's what it takes to make people know that they're safe when they come in here. Man, we'll put tape up. I'll wear that mask because, man, I want people to hear about Christ more than anything else. And I want you guys to understand that what Paul's saying here is it's not about the law. Instead, it is very much about Christ and grace and faithfulness. doesn't mean that Paul would participate in the sins of those who were not under the law, but rather he chose not to judge them in an unfair manner. I'll give you another example of this. As a police chaplain, this past week I was contacted and asked to uh, deal with one of the officers who was trying to process something that he had witnessed. As he began to share, he used multiple terms that would not be okay if any of y'all chose to use it with me today. But this officer is not in the same place that you are. Please note that I did not curse back at him, but I also did not rebuke him. I loved him and I encouraged him. So this is what I want you to get from this. When you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are now under grace. That doesn't mean that you should live in agreement with the law, but it is now the grace of Jesus Christ that defines who you are, not the law. And how you live and how you love and how you serve is determined by his grace. Now, here's the thing. The law will take you this far. His grace will take you even further. So when we say that you're not under the law, but rather you're under grace, that is not lowering the standard of expectation upon those who are in the body of Christ, but rather it is raising the standard so that now we live with the understanding that His grace will make up the difference when we fall short, but now we've got a reason to do it. It's not just because we have to. It's because of His love and grace that He's already extended to us. Be led by. By the Spirit. Now, from our third point today, I want to skip down to verse 25. I know we didn't read all the way through verse 25 of Galatians 5, but in it we see that we ought to also live by the Spirit. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What would that look like? I've defined it in your outline today as the joy of being. Let me start with this idea of keeping in step. Often I have the opportunity to go for walks with my kids. We have a disc golf course That's pretty close to the house. In fact uh, Because I do Fitbit stuff all the time It is exactly 500 steps from the front door of my house to the entryway to the disc golf course So we'll go down there often just for a walk There have been other times that we'll just walk up to downtown central and walk together Now I know that I am getting old and that my kids can probably walk much faster than I, but I won't let them. When they get to walking too fast, I make them stop and wait for me. When they get to talking and they get distracted, I will make them speed up so that they will be up here with me. The point is that I'm not walking for the sake of walking. I'm walking for the sake of spending time with the kids. I want them to keep in step with me. I imagine God longs for the same thing with us. Let me suggest to you that the presence of the Spirit enables you to live a life filled with incredible joy because you are now in the presence of God. Certainly there will still be times of brokenness and struggle, yet there can still be a joy. Two weeks ago I spoke of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was isolated in a prison camp. This week I spoke with a missionary who is isolated from almost all American English-speaking fellowship. I would imagine that they understand brokenness and struggle, yet they also understand joy. It is the Spirit's presence in us that gives us incredible joy, enabling us to see past the struggle and to know that what we are doing brings honor to the name of Christ. That's what happens when you live by the Spirit. Before I go on from this point, let me ask one last question for you. How do you make sure that you are walking in step with the Spirit? Do you remember the statistic that I gave earlier that 32% of evangelicals read the Scriptures on a daily basis? You know, often the Spirit speaks to us through the Word. I wonder how he's supposed to speak to us when we are not in the word, which 68% of evangelicals are not. If you want to be walking in step with the spirit, you need to get into the word of God. Finally, I want to step away from Galatians 5 for this last point this morning. For the sake of time, I won't read the entirety of Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, but I will invite you to go back and read it yourself. I am going to summarize it for you today. In it, we're told of a vineyard, of a beautiful vineyard that bears lush, beautiful fruit, yet it is destroyed. Sounds eerily familiar to where we started today. If you remember, we started with Adam and Eve being placed in a beautiful garden, that had all the fruit and blessing that they could have ever wanted, but it wasn't enough. They were eventually evicted from the garden and forced to work the land for their survival. But the greatest punishment to Adam and Eve was not having to work the ground. It was them not having full access, first of all, to God. Imagine being in a place where you could walk anywhere you wanted and you knew that God was physically there with you. We are told that they walked and talked. When Adam and Eve sin is originally addressed, we're told that they heard the sound of God walking in the garden and they hid because they recognized their shameful nakedness. The thing is, it was not unusual, apparently, for God to walk there in the garden, and they recognized the sound. They could hear it. They knew that's God. That means he probably did it all the time. Imagine having access to the creator of heaven and earth, to where he walked and talked often, and suddenly you being evicted from that place where you knew that he dwelt. Along with this, it wasn't just his presence, but it was also the blessings and the fruit that God made available to them in that place. Yet, through the Holy Spirit, we are all given free access to the fruits of the Spirit. Richard referenced it last week, and we see it actually here in our passage. These fruits include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please note that these are not selectively given. Like, okay, I'm going to give you the fruit of love, but you don't get the patience one. Now, some of y'all are thinking, actually, he gave me love. I don't think my patience is where it needs to be. The truth is there are some of them that seem as though they are greater than the others, but they are all the byproduct of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. They're not selectively given, but rather they are a combined gift that the Spirit of God brings with him. So let me close with this question. Are these characteristics evident in your life today? I know, I just kind of jokingly said some of y'all don't have patience, but maybe it's true. Maybe for some of us, the joy is missing. Maybe it's the peace, the gentleness. Okay, we've been talking about sin, we've been talking about the acts of the flesh. Maybe it's self-control. If these characteristics are not present in your life, you need to ask the question, why? Because the Holy Spirit's presence in you suggests that it ought to be a part of who you are today. Maybe it's time for us to stop trying to be in control and let the Holy Spirit actually be in control of our lives. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today... We are grateful for your Holy Spirit. We're grateful to know that in spite of all of our weaknesses that you have chosen to make your dwelling among us, and we believe today that the moment we surrender our lives to you that your Holy Spirit is given to us, it would appear that some of us maybe have not allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. We begin by asking for forgiveness today. We ask that you would help us to be the people that you created us to be. But I pray today that if there be characteristics that are absent in our lives, that right now you would begin to change us. Some of us are really good at loving other people. Maybe we're pretty good at the joy part of this. Some of us lack peace, patience, maybe even a little bit of kindness. But I pray that you would reveal your characteristics in us, because they are yours. But if you're dwelling in us, that's what will flow out of us. So I pray today that you would change us in that manner. Others here today have allowed acts of the flesh to, to remain in our lives and they do not belong. We know that you do not desire for us to remain in our sin, but rather you want us to be set free. You want to change the desires of our hearts. Lord, I pray today that you would transform everything about us. The behaviors that don't belong, remove them. And I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who are truly filled with the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, i got to tell you, I'm really excited to be in this pulpit. I almost want to start over and do this again. Uh, I will tell you this, uh, as we get ready to close, we did not pass the offering plate in here, and we are doing something very similar uh, to what we have been doing out in the other building. As you leave this morning, there are individuals that are set up uh, there. You see two individuals on the corners here, and then there's going to be someone out here in the foyer, and there'll be someone back here at this door uh, with buckets, and you have the opportunity to still drop your offering in. Again, we're just trying to be as safe as possible, which means trying to have as, as few touches as possible for you. I also encourage you, today is a great day to start back to Sunday school. Uh, It's going to be a great time in each of the classes that were mentioned. So glad to have children's ministry up and running again. So glad to be here in this sanctuary. Uh, Come back and join us next week, and we believe God will continue to move in our midst. Thank you for being with us, and go in peace.